When we spend time examining the birth of Jesus Christ, we are examining the incarnation. God come in the flesh. Can you grasp that? God would come in the flesh. God would come incarnate. That he would visit us in that manner for the sole purpose of laying down his life a ransom for many. As we read there, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That generation of people at that time, so many of them missed so much because they could not see Jesus in Jesus. There were a few that saw him and understood, even as we hear the Apostle Peter confessing, Thou art the Christ. That word in the Old Testament is translated Messiah. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I like what Thomas had to say too. So often he is run down. You know, the Lord never ran down any of his children. Never. He never spoke ill of them. People do, but he doesn't. I have loved them with an everlasting love. I care for them from eternity. They are mine. The Father gave them me, and we are one, and they are thine and mine and mine and thine. So he never runs them down. But Thomas has taken a beating over the years, but his confession so many people cannot make. My Lord and my God. He made the Lord and made the God of heaven mine. You know who does that for us? He that gives himself a ransom for us. That's where we get the my in that. We find that in the, in the scriptures he has declared he is the eternal God. Now I have difficulty wrapping myself around eternity. But we do the best we can. He is the eternal Son of God. He is the eternal Lamb of God. He is the eternal Prophet of God. He is the eternal Priest of God. He is the eternal King of God. He is the eternal Apostle and High Priest of our profession. There's not a time when he began to do any of these things. Now we know as he came, God come in the flesh, he was not changed when his... His eternality was not changed when he assumed flesh. He was always the same, God Almighty. He's the eternal redemption of God. He's the eternal wisdom of God. He is the eternal righteousness of God. He is the eternal justification of God. He is the eternal redeemer of God. And the list could go on and on as we study the scriptures. He is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This day, I would like to spend just a few minutes on a passage of Scripture that is prophetic about this one's coming. Prophetic about what the Old Testament had to say. Now, it's many places in the Old Testament it shares with us that there was one coming. So the title of our message this morning is, Someone is Coming. 
The Old Testament prophets, they were not predicting. They were prophesying. They were declaring that someone is coming. We heard read there in the book of Genesis this morning, chapter 3, someone's coming to take care of the problem that came as a result of Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden. Someone's coming. There's going to be someone take care of the problem. Well, every prophet from that time on prophesied concerning the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't realize when I thought about going and doing this this time of year that we were going to go right back to the book of Numbers to do this. So would you join me in the book of Numbers chapter 24? In the book of Numbers chapter 24. We were there some time ago, and we read this passage of Scripture, but we didn't say a lot about it. We would like to say more about it today. Balaam was a false prophet. Balaam was and is called in the Scriptures, he is called a soothsayer. He is going to admit in this passage of Scripture that he didn't know the first thing about the God he was speaking about. He reminds me so much of Judas. I'm convinced that Judas had a lot to say, but he didn't have any understanding about it. He went and mimicked what the others were saying. He just spoke with his mouth, but his heart was not in it. Because Judas, from the very beginning, had been chosen to be the one that would betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, uh, Jesus Christ, never had him enter into that really very loyal fold that he had. He was always identified in Jesus' mind as a traitor, as a beguiler, as a liar, and as one that would identify him as the Lord Jesus Christ. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of Numbers this morning. The book of Numbers, chapter 24. This is a, the final statement by this false prophet, Balaam, who has been paid as a soothsayer to speak ill against Israel. He has been paid by another false prophet, a false king. And here we have in these words... In the book of Numbers, chapter 24, Numbers chapter 24, we have Balaam and his final statement, his final parable as it's recorded. Chapter 24, beginning with verse 15. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of the Lord and knew the knowledge of the Most High and saw the vision of the Almighty fallen into a trance, but having his eyes open. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near. Not now. He's going to see him, but he won't be near. Now the apostle, or excuse me, Job had that to say, uh, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. There was a knowledge by Job. Job had the same faith that's given to every other believer. Every believer that has ever been on this earth could say with conviction, I know my Redeemer liveth. And he's going to come back. And to Job, he hadn't even been here the first time. But he's going to come back. And he's going to raise me from the dead. Now, I'm going to have breakfast with a young man this coming week. 
and I'm going to talk about the resurrection. <laughs> and I'm going to ask him if I go out, you and I go out to the cemetery, and we got stand over a grave of one of our loved ones, and we just say, if grandma, if you're willing, you can come out of that tomb. What would happen? <laughs> Nothing. Now, when the Lord calls, that's going to be different. But our call is not effectual. So here he says he's not close. But he goes on to say this and how and what a prophetic statement he makes. God moved his mouth. God moved his lips. And you know what? Moses wrote it down. Balaam didn't write it down. He's not a holy man of God to speak as he was moved, but he spoke these words and Moses wrote them down as the Holy Spirit gave him utterance. And the words that Balaam spoke, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near or nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies, and Israel shall do valiantly. Verse 19. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. We'd like to look at those three things that Balaam mentioned here as he is being paid to speak evil of Israel and he can't get his mouth to speak it. God did not permit him to curse Israel. In fact, the opposite, he was called on to bless Israel. All right, these things that we find here in Numbers chapter 24 Verses 17 and verse 19. There shall come a star out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And in verse 19, out of Jacob shall he come who shall have dominion. Someone's coming. And this someone that is coming, even Balaam prophesied about it, this someone that is coming is going to do extraordinary things. He is going to be able to do extraordinary things because he's extraordinary. He's God Almighty. He's the one that God has promised to take care of the problem. There shall be a star and a scepter, and someone is going to have dominion. These two verses reveal much about the coming Messiah, the promised one. The promised one, the seed of the woman, however we look at it in the Scriptures, we have someone identified here. God Almighty has identified him as someone that is going to be do, able to do great things, exceeding things, greater than our expectations. He is going to be able to subdue all our enemies. Every one of those people that he mentions there in those, that passage of Scripture are the enemies of the church. They represent that. They're enemies of God, idolatrous people, and this one is going to come and put it all aside. There shall come a star out of Jacob. Would you turn with me to the book of Revelation on that verse of Scripture, that thought? We are reminded of some thoughts over here in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, when we think about a star, particularly when we think about this star. Now, a star was used for the wise men, 
led to see where the new king was born. God brought a star, something that they observed and brought them out of the east. Someone mentioned not long ago, probably these people had heard, their, their ancestors had heard the word of God through someone like Daniel because they came from the same place. They had some information that a king of Israel had been born and they were brought there and they brought the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They came, a star led them. Well, here in the book of Revelation, Chapter 22 and verse 16, we read these words about a star. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Now that's interesting. Have you ever thought about being the root and also the offspring? I am the one that brought David's family into the world, and I'm the offspring of David's family. I am David's Lord and David's son. I am that I am is what we regard about the Lord Jesus. He goes on to say, I am the root and the offspring of David. Now notice this last part. And the bright and morning star. For its brightness. You know, the brightness of this star began in the very beginning of time and has shown all the way through the scriptures. We find that there's not been a time that God did not have an interest in taking care of the problem that would develop in the Garden of Eden. He had promised that he would take care of all his children that had fallen in Adam. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. All their names were written down in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. I have promised to take care of them, and this bright and shining morning star has been in every generation from the very beginning of humanity to this day. That star still continues to shine in its glory, and that glory is the glory of God found in Jesus Christ. I am the bright and morning star. Back up just a little bit there into the book of 2 Peter, if you would. 2 Peter, as we think about that star, there'll be a star arise. Oh, as the prophecy goes out, as even this liar, this, this, this outrageous guy hired to curse Israel is forced by God Almighty to speak well of one that will come this star, a star out of Jacob, not going to come out of any other tribe, going to come out of Jacob. Here in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, we read these words. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. What does God do as the star out of Jacob brings that light of the glorious gospel, brings in regeneration in the heart, creates a new heart within us? All of this activity was promised, and even Balaam would mention it. There's going to be a star arise out of Jacob. What we have, a star in the sense of a blazing, a star, a shining and you know, sometimes a star is figuratively used as a prince. We have 
in this star, the Prince of Peace. We heard about that this morning. As we look into the scriptures, we find that the line of the Messiah has been identified for a very long time. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the names that would be known by our numerous of being the star. The old, an old translation, put it this way. This is an uh, old translation. This is before, the turn, or before Christ was even born. This translation was out. While a king shall arise from the house of Jacob and Messiah be anointed from the house of Israel. People had an understanding of who this is. You know, the second thing that we found in that passage of Scripture there in the book of Numbers, chapter 24, a scepter will rise out of Israel. You know, a scepter is a mark of authority. Kings use a scepter. I think of that scepter that Ahasuerus had. And his wife, came fearfully and humbly into his presence, hoping that scepter would drop in favor of her. She'd already been warned, if he doesn't want you, you'll be taken out and killed. A scepter of power, authority. And yet we find here in the book of Numbers chapter 24 that there shall rise a scepter, shall rise out of Israel, one who has power and authority. Turn with me to the book of the Psalms, if you would. Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7, we read here about the scepter, this authority of God, the authority of the Messiah, the authority of the one come in the flesh, that he is all-powerful, all-knowing. It doesn't take very long in the ministry of the Lord Jesus for us to understand he could read everybody's heart that was there. It doesn't take us very long to find out he knew their motives. When they ask a stupid question, he already knew it was a stupid question. They, they were making an attempt to catch God in a trap, and they couldn't. Many of them went away frustrated because he answered their question not the way he wanted that they wanted it answered. And many of them went away mad. Did you know he spoke of us? And here we read in Psalm 45. Psalm 45, and there in verses 6 and 7, the scriptures share this. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. That's one thing as we bring this out, as we look at this from the book of Numbers, that this prophet, even though he was a false prophet, his mouth is being used by Almighty God, just like we find he used a dumbass to speak the glory of God. Here we have this mouth being moved by God to declare that there shall be a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and this scepter is a person, and this scepter is the kingdom, and it is a right scepter. And he goes on, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. You know, there are many people been anointed, but only one is the anointed one, the Messiah. That's what that word means. That's what Christ means, anointed. What does that mean? set aside an eternity past to be the redeemer of the people. This is the one in the covenant of grace 
that was set aside by himself and by the other two members of the Godhead to be the redeemer of his people. He didn't shy from it. He accepted it and was glad. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. In eternity past, it was joyful what he was determined to do. Yes, he would witness the fall. Yes, he would go down and talk to Adam and Eve in the, in, in the trees there in the garden. Yes, he would cover them. And this would be symbolic of what would take place 4,000 years later at Calvary, a covering that he had been covering his people with all through the ages, his robe of righteousness. The veracity of those words would be evident when Jesus Christ went to the cross and purchased his people. Oh, this scepter, this righteous scepter. He loves righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. He is the true Messiah. In Hebrews chapter 1, would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews as we follow this, the scepter. A scepter shall rise out of Israel, a man of authority, a man that when he speaks it will be carried out, a man when he's determined to save a people. I was asked the other day, do you, do you think that anybody that's ever been saved could actually just walk away from God and never be there again? And I says, not on your life. The promise of God is I will lose none. We get lost. But he never loses us. We stumble and fall, but he never loses us. I like to think of it there in the book of Ezekiel. I think it is got a hook in our jaw. <laughs> I'm not letting you go. You're mine. I purchased you. I'm not wasting my blood. Well, here in the book of, of uh, Hebrews chapter Hebrews chapter 1. I'll get there. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. Is, but unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God. Now this is God speaking of the Son and saying, O God. God has called his Son God for an eternity. And you know what? The church will call the Son God all their born-again life and not one will deny that he is God. When we deny that Jesus Christ is God, we are identifying ourselves as not knowing God. That's all there is to it. Thy Son, but unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. This one with authority has a scepter of the right. He has the scepter of righteousness. He has a scepter to impute righteousness. He has a scepter that is glorious. Turn with me, if you would, back to the book of Isaiah again, if you would. In Isaiah chapter 32, as we think about a scepter rising, oh, a star coming out of Jacob. A star, brightness, glorious, a star above all stars, a heavenly star, one that came from the very presence of God even as the Lord Jesus cried in his great high priestly prayer, Restore unto the me the glory that I had with thee before the world was. How is that going to happen? His death. How is that going to happen? His burial. How is that going to be happen? His resurrection. 
restoration, restored, back to fellowship. Here in the book of Isaiah chapter 32, we read these words about the glories of this one. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 1, the scriptures share this. Isaiah 32 verse 1, it says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment, and a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind, and a covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. He shall reign in righteousness. This, again, is a declaration from the prophet Isaiah about the coming one. This is who he is. And he shall be, this man shall be as a hiding place from the wind. We appreciate that here, don't we? A place out of the wind sometimes is so wonderful. And here we find that it is rivers of water in a dry place. What changes God makes in us. He gives us a, himself as a covert from the storm, from the wind. He gives himself as a place that is watered, that once was so dry. And then he says, as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. I read sometime how much difference in temperature in the, in the shade there is from out in the sunshine. And you don't think it so much, but it is. And what a difference there is in the shadow of the Almighty over the heat of this natural world. God is so gracious to us. He and a man, this is the God-man that shall come. Jeremiah 23. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 23. Look book over there in chapter 23 as we think about this scepter arising out of Israel. God purposed that people would know you know, when God's people read this hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, they says, oh my, that's talking about my Savior. That's talking about what He will do. That's talking about being freed from where I am. Being freed. In Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, we read these words. It says here, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. One more time, the prophets of old spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will raise unto David a righteous branch. And then as we look out, we find there in the book of Numbers chapter 24 and verse 19, someone's coming that has dominion. Has dominion. I was told one time that Satan has dominion over the world. Not true. There's a king that has dominion over this world. And that rascal is in dominion of the king. This king has dominion over all things. He had dominion over nothing and created everything. You know, before the world was created and all the heavens and the earth, there wasn't even an atom. There was an absolute nothingness except for God. And out of nothingness, 
He had dominion to create the heavens and the earth. And out of nothingness, he created the first man. Dirt of the ground, of the soil, probably a red earth that we see sometimes. That's what his name, Adam's name meant, red. Dirt. He's made out of dirt. You know, just as it is so possible for God to create a man out of the dust of this earth, it is so possible for that same God to create a child in a womb that had never had a man. There's no nothing hard about that if you can see God. Now, I don't understand it, but I just see that it's absolutely true. God created a body. Because he said, a body thou hast prepared me. God created a body in a womb that never knew a man. The Virgin Mary. All right. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, shall have rule, shall be dominant. He shall rule over all things. He shall have dominion over all things. Nothing shall go without his dominion over it. No wonder he can say all things are purposed and planned after the counsel of his own will. Why? Because I have dominion over all things. My dominion is an everlasting dominion, and it is from east to west and north to south, over everything near and far and left and right. Everything he's, has dominion over it. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Jude. I don't think I'm going to get in trouble because this will be a while before Mike gets there. Because I want verse 25. Verse 25 of the book of Jude. Notice this with me. 25 of the book of Jude. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. What's it say? Dominion and power. He has dominion to hold all things together. That's what we read in the book of Colossians. He can hold all things together. By him all things consist. Nothing was made, it tells us in the book of John, nothing was made that was made without him making it. He is the maker of all things, the creator of all things. He has dominion over all things. He has dominion over everything. There is nothing that does not fall under his dominion. David said, though I make my bed in hell, thou art there. Wherever we go, he is there. You know, I have people say, you know, my son, my daughter, they, they were saved, but now they're just away from God. And I'd like to ask where that is. Because God is everywhere. He knows. He knows where they are. The dominion of God is a wise dominion. It's a righteous dominion. It's a dominion that only does good. What does it say in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28? And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now outside of that, that group, it may look bad, but to that group, it is 
all things work together for the good of them that love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Because he has dominion over all things. He rules over all things. Nothing is outside of his rule. Every asteroid. I didn't realize until a science teacher told me one time, when you're cleaning your gutter, there's some dirt down in the bottom of the gutter, that that's really stuff that's come out of the solar system, drifted down here. I didn't know that. But you know what? Every one of those particles, has God has dominion. Every asteroid, every... Thing. Oh, the fear mongers, we're going to get smacked with an asteroid. So, he has dominion over that asteroid. If that's what he wants to do with this earth, so be it. All right. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16. You know, when we think about this, we find out. Well, if he has dominion over all things, what about salvation? Absolutely. He has dominion over everything about salvation. Every thought of salvation. Every word of salvation. He has dominion over everybody that he saves. He has dominion over the hearts and minds of everybody he saves. Travel down the road to Damascus with Saul of Tarsus for a moment, and you'll find out that God had dominion over Saul of Tarsus. And the moment he appeared unto him, Saul never was the same. He left religion behind and claimed Christ, that I may win Christ. I press towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. That's where he headed. All right. Book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 16. It says, He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And have the keys. I have dominion over the keys of hell and death. Now I have dominion over you now, John. Write these things which hast, thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And then he tells us the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in thy right hand, the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the messengers, the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. This I have dominion over. I have dominion over all things. And as we read over there, the dominion is, a, is very necessary. His dominion is very very necessary in our salvation. He must have dominion over us in order to cause us to bow. Without dominion, we will not bow. If, if we don't see him as the king, we will not bow. He will cause us to bow. He has dominion over all things. 
The salvation of dead sinners is a great feat of grace, yet he has all the dominion over it. There the results of that glorious star of Jacob and the glorious scepter out of Israel, and him who has dominion is the defeat of all enemies. Read down through there. He just talks about Moab, check. Other tribes, check. Who's left? Israel. All of them he's going to defeat. Well, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. In Hebrews, chapter 9, we read this wonderful passage of Scripture about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and His great accomplishments over all the enemies of the church, over the enemies of God, which truly are the enemies of the church. He is going to win over sin. He's going to put sin as far as the east is from the west. He's going to pay every jot and tittle of sin for His people. He will win. He will win. In some miraculous way, He was able to call, have dominion over sin and call every sin that is against His people from time immemorial to this present day and the future as long as it lasts, He's able to call every sin by his power and dominion and place it on himself on the cross. He imputed every sin of all of his people. Not one of them said, I'm staying here under this rock and I'll hide and he'll never find me. And then I'll accuse every sin. He had dominion over and his power and great glory brought them at one place. At one day, at, on the cross, when they were imputed to him, and he paid everything in payment for our sin. Here in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24, it says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. Now Christ is the Messiah. Christ is the star. Christ is the dominion. <laughs> Christ is the scepter. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, speaking about the tabernacle or the temple, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us or on our behalf. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But because he has all dominion, because he is the star, because he is the scepter, because he is the one anointed before the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared in all his glory as a man to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What great dominion and what he did against our enemy, sin. Against our enemy, death. Death hath no more dominion over you, we read in the book of Romans. Sin hath no more dominion over me, over you, we read in the book of Romans. Christ has dominion over all things, and he has the church as his dominion. 
It is as it is appointed that a man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ has once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. No charge held against the church. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. You know, there are many examples in the Old Testament of God defeating all the enemies. One of them is there, or several are there in the book of Numbers. Chapter 24, a list there. As we follow Israel, we're going to find out that they're going to go against Midian, and what? Win. They're going to go against Jericho. Guess what? Win. And the only record I have in the scriptures of losing any soldiers was at Ai. The other times, we're going to take 100,000 men into battle, and 100,000 men will come home. I was sharing with Mike this morning, at Jericho, they came home with more than they went with. They had Rahab the harlot and her family. (laughs) They were all Israel. Now turn with me, if you would, in conclusion to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 23. This is such a wonderful verse of Scripture. You know, in this 2 Samuel, chapter 23, we also have David's last words. That's what's mentioned in the very beginning. But we go on and we find, <coughs> excuse me, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, that the, David, there's listed here his mighty men. He had a mighty trio. And then he had another mighty trio. And this one was more mighty than that one. Oh, it just goes down through there. And you say, my gosh, those guys did some really phenomenal things. But the conclusion of the whole matter is found in this reading we want to do, 2 Samuel chapter 23, and verses 8 through 39 is the mighty men. You could read that, but I'm going to look at verses 11, chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. It talks about one man, but it sums up how God takes care of every enemy. He wins every battle. There's not one he goes into battle with that he doesn't come out victor. And I'm thankful that he has the ability of overcoming us. Or we'd not be overcome. We'd not submit. We have to have someone who has all dominion. We have to have someone who is the great star, has the mighty scepter, that will win the battle over our very will, which is against God. It's enmity with God. It's at warfare. We have no interest in that at all. We'll have all the interest in religion, But we will not have any interest in Christ until he gives us a heart to love him. And then we will love him. All right, here. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. Who would fight over a field of lentils? Anyway, it's a field of lentils, beans. And the people fled from the Philistines. Now that's how much interest we have in defeating our own enemies. They're there. We're just going to flee. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And before you go home and get too big about it, And the Lord brought a great victory. (laughs) 
That's what the Lord does. He wrots a great victory. That's this one who is the star of Jacob, who is the scepter out of Israel, and who has all dominion over all things. He is the Savior that God's people worship. He is the one who came and won. He says he stood his ground and defended it and slew the enemy. We thank God for that. Lord willing, next time we'll look at a passage that will say, someone's here. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. He came in the flesh for the suffering of death. Brother Mike.